Hello, adventurers. I want to take a moment to tell you that all our content can now be found uninterrupted and commercial-free on Apollo Plus. Apollo Plus is a subscription-based service that enhances your audio fiction experience with ad-free access to your favorite shows and exclusive content, while at the same time supporting us all as creators to keep bringing you quality content. Please take a moment to check out Apollo Plus at apollopods.com or download the app in your Google or Apple app stores. Again, that's Apollo Plus, your new home for quality audio fiction. Dawn of Dragons, Season 3, Episode 5, To Absent Friends. The dining hall was surprisingly quiet that evening. The members of the Order sat on their oaken benches, largely in silence. The pasty, thin broth of their meal a reminder of the siege. This taste would likely never change for as long as they were trapped inside the halls of the Great Tower. For some, they felt it could be their last altogether. The wear of battle driving spirits downward. One squire sits with his company, staring at the last bite of the provided food, balanced in his spoon, carved from a single golden horn. Well, Morin, I hope you have a good evening. Yes, you as well, Benedict. Rest well. Hey, Benedict? You fought well today, kid. Bryce smiled. The blue crown and sword on his black tunic was darkened in spots, as was his attitude prior at the table. But now at least for a moment, the brooding corporal relaxed the tension in his face and eyes. Ridley, the dwarf, looked up as well at Bryce. Seeing him smile caused a big grin on her face. Real well. (laughs) Ha ha, you were great. See you in the morning, and we'll send more of them back to the shadows from where they came. (laughs) That sounds good, Ridley. (laughs) And thank you, Bryce. Benedict made his way out and into the quiet hall of the tower. The tower was separated into sections, much like the cross-section of an orange. Each of the six smaller towers flanked the central tower, all adjacent to each other, and were in their own right very impressive. The central tower may be a staggering 1,200 feet high, but the side towers were still 400 feet on their own, if you were to guess, at them being about a third of the height from a distance. And he looked to his right. The curving high walls were covered and faded in worn tapestry. The once vibrant colors over time had faded to their pale pastel counterparts in the stale air that reverberated down the halls. He imagined the pale periwinkle was once a strong blue, as seen on the newer tunics of the soldiers stationed here, and the mint green, a bold turquoise, or even deep jade. Whoa. This is the War of the Stone. Where it all began. He stopped in front of a tapestry depicting a battle around a huge towering monolith, shaped eerily like an anvil. Though solid black, there were numerous colored threads woven inside to show multiple colors shimmering on the surface. It was impossible to tell how large it was, but in the embroidery it certainly felt like a small mountain. The foreground was filled with banners he didn't recognize. Axes, wolves, trees, elk, hammers were all in battle against the standards of a raven or maybe an eagle. He wasn't sure. Erebus hadn't shared much of this time period in history, just the legends 
which honestly were probably more fun and entertaining to a 10-year-old. He was aware this existed since the War of the Stone. This tower was built in the years following it. That was over 1,500 years ago. These banners came from the time even before that. An opening in the long wall became visible as the hall curved gently towards it, revealing the central sanctuary. He smiled, thinking back on the events a few hours ago. The sanctuary was filled with white tunics of the knights and the black tunics of the soldiers, the blue crown and sword rippling across every chest like gentle waves as they sat watching the procession. Bendik knelt, head-bowed, at the front of the room, with five others dressed in only a simple white robe. They didn't waver. Steadily balanced and calm before the large crowd, the crowd that had seen this ceremony and been a part of it themselves at some point. Members of the Order, you, you have witnessed their actions this day and wish to welcome these initiates to our ranks as squires. Lord Alvar, Knight Commander of the Celestine Tower, it is my honor to bring them to you. May the stone now guide your judgment, Lord Alvar stepped forward. His wiry beard seemed more full and strength seemed to return to his gray eyes. He wore no ceremonial outfit, the same white tunic he was accustomed to wearing, complete with four blue bars at the bottom. Initiates, you prove valor this day on the field. When in battle, only your heart will know if your intentions were honorable. In our attendance, there are guiding words, words we use to guide our tongues as well as our sword. Our actions are still our own, but now they will carry with them the collective will of the knighthood. In all your days, give not into anger or seek revenge. Always show kindness and generosity. Forgive, forgive the unforgivable. Keep your word in all things and always, always defend those who can't defend themselves. He stepped forward and drew his longsword. The brass pommel and crossguard polished to a high sheen. The well-used blade had been carefully ground to remove the deeper nicks and blemishes, but many remained to tell their story. A story many watching knew from their own sparring with the old veteran. Benedict took a last look in the wide room. He could still smell the rich incense and sage from the braziers and feel the cheers as they welcomed him to their ranks. Keldor and Eleviv had proudly embraced him following the ceremony, and his unit's commander, Morin, with Bryce and Ridley, led the rest of their group in a rousing huzzah. This was what he always dreamed of. He came to the stairway that ascended to the next floor above, leading to the barracks. The barracks were placed in each tower, though only two of them were currently being used at this time. The stone steps were kept clean as the cavalry could wear their smooth sabaton that could act more like skis on these stairs with one wrong step. He climbed the twenty feet to the next level. The hall branched to several rooms, each containing twenty cots, covered in tufts of straw bedding and topped with a tanned, large animal fur, surprisingly comfortable, and a step up from the hard ground of the road or the turn in the wagon. 
He sat on the edge of the bed for a moment before pulling his boots off. There's only one thing missing from today. Night Lord, please watch over my friends tonight. Though we are separated, I feel we are all still together. May the maiden guide those in the tower seeking its secrets that may help us. And please help brave Scott Mir in organizing the volunteer militia tomorrow. I know I shouldn't doubt him. <laughs> help him to see that too. He couldn't help but smile thinking of his awkward but caring friend. He was rough. But if he just believes in himself, Benedict knew he could do great things. Then lying down on the bed, placing one cheek on the pillow, his eyes drifted off to sleep. Dawn came too soon for most, especially those in the 5th Infantry. Captain Morin looked at her company once they reached their point at the front of the line behind a long row of entrenched pikemen. The long black tunics donned the majority of her soldiers. Elves, humans, dwarves, and even an orc or two had served by her side. Northern Darkovnia, bells, and parts of the southern trull represented in her ranks. Blue crown and sword emblems across the chest of all, including the four veteran knights who wore white tunics, like herself. But she was captain. Or how she liked to think of it, they allowed her to be captain. They let her wear the twin blue stripes on the white field. It was her honor to lead them. They were down a few soldiers from the prior day. One was the Corporal Malleus. She knew was recovering from a serious headwind. The elf was struck next to her by a great club. The wicked knot digging deep before, sending him reeling by the leering man in dark armor. Though she had dispatched him, the wound was grievous. Standing over his body to guard it, she looked around as the skirmish cooled. Hold on, Malleus. You hear me. There is no dying in the fifth. Come on, Malleus. Stick with me. Say it. No. Dying. Close enough. Benedict! Flag that cavalry returning for us. We need to get Mollius back to the camp. Benedict stood with his arms outstretched, waving enthusiastically to get their attention. They were returning from the front line back to the tower as the battlefield cleared for the day. What do you need, Squire? We need help with the wounded! Arsenia looked at her major, who nodded in agreement before she quickly galloped over. He's over here! Hurry! Captain Warren, I'm here to... Oh no, Malleus! He's hurt bad, Arsenia. Bring him back to the clerics at the gate. Immediately. I'm afraid we may lose him if we wait for them to come to us. Yes, of course. I'll help you get him on your mount. Arsenia mounted her horse as Benedict and Morin lifted his limp body to drape over her lap. Holding him on the rein, she drove her heels into the ribs of flight, her gray mare sending them off in a gallop back to the tower, looming in the distance. That was yesterday, she thought. Morin hoped he was still faring all right. The infantry felt an impact yesterday, but their cavalry and archers had kept the majority of Hallis's large invasion back on that first day. 
Those that had made it past their lines only fell to the heavy stones flung by the trebuchet and more archers. They had been covering the left flank, but today was different. Lord Alvar moved them closer to the center this time, as he anticipated they were just testing the defenses before. The long shadow of the tower stretched across the battlefield as dawn waned on. Well, here we go again. Archers! Knock! The tops of the distant hills moved slightly as masses of darkly clothed figures creeped like a slow dark tide across the earth. As if the night itself was wishing to return from an early banishment, as they drew within 200 yards, something unexpected happened. They paused. Why? Captain! Why are they holding? But Captain Morin was silent. The smell of the wet mud and snow carried across the battlefield, as did the oiled leather and steel. The wind was dulled to a gentle breeze in the early morning, and looking up, the overcast sky held nothing to fear from, from what she could see. A rider on a dark horse stepped forward from the growing crowd. She remembered what she was briefed on this morning about that dark uncle of Malleus. Where are you, boy? Do you not remember me? Do you not remember your beloved uncle? Come now, don't hide. The black leather armor was emblazoned with a blue-green skull, smeared like a inverted teardrop. A symbol that hadn't been seen yet on the battlefield. Benedict was looking at him intensely. I don't like this guy. Alias? Don't keep your uncle waiting. I know you're scared. Well, we all know that, don't we, Malleus? I really don't like this guy. Malleus! You coward! Face me now and you can keep your precious silver maples. Prove to this world you deserve them. Corporal Bryce! Permission to- No! Stand your ground, companion. Corporal, I can- I said no! But Bryce wasn't entirely sure. He didn't want to be held responsible for the private's death, but this seemed a straight-up match, and frankly, Benedict had proven to be a formidable warrior one-on-one. Morn's jaw trembled with rage. A pause listed across the ground like a tumbleweed momentarily. I really hate that guy. Corporal Bryce! Yes, Captain! Is there someone you recommend to answer this gentleman's demands? He looked at Benedict. The young man appeared to be, for the most part, successful in holding back his anger. Bryce couldn't help but smile at that a bit. He knew what that meant. Benedict Shieldheart. Thank you. Benedict strode from the line, drawing his greatsword as he passed the line of bewildered pikemen. He looked at Morin as he passed. Her lip curled in a proud smile. Bless you, Benedict. Lucas, your demand on this battlefield to meet with Malleus cannot be met. But this man will gladly stand in for him. Where is my rat chicken of a nephew? All that matters is he is not here. And as is our custom, a demand on a member is a demand on the order itself, and must be fulfilled. We must honor it to be met. 
<laughs> this infuriated Lucas, who swung off the horse. The green daggers of face paint around his eyes downward curled at the points across the cheek from his wicked sneering. Drawing an ebony longsword in his hand, the dark oiled Damascus rippled in the dawn light. <laughs> it is no matter. This whelp shall lie slain in the mud regardless, to become a feast of worms for my dark lord. You, Benedict, you only prolong the inevitable. And Malleus will still die! Lucas dove at Benedict, lashing out with a quick arc to the midsection, that he dodged by jumping back slightly on his heels. He answered with a high strike downward to be met by Lucas's parry. Weak! I could fight you all day! As they circled each other, Benedict calmly drifted his focus to the crowd behind them. He felt confident this wouldn't place him at a disadvantage. This was a learned behavior from his days pulling Zorin or another friend off the sticky bar-soaked floors during a tavern brawl. Always someone waiting to drive a tankard into your skull if you weren't looking. He took note of two individuals who stood out against the dark horde. They wore no helm, and their polished leather scale armor was a midnight blue rimmed in gold. Not gold paint, but real gold leafing. The male stood behind the woman. Dark rimmed eyes showed irises the same color as his pupil, black as a starlit night. They both had cruel, one-sided grin as they stood at the front of the army with their arms crossed, watching intently. As could I. But I have better things to do. They locked blades, staring at each other. Bandit could tell he could drive his blade through the other guard easily, but it would open himself up. Lucas kicked free and swung in a series of wild blows that drove Benedict backward, and several steps finally stumbling to a knee. Bringing his sword up into a high guard, Lucas drove a single chop on his shoulder. Benedict grabbed the blade in one gauntleted hand, holding it in place at the top of the shoulder where it passed through the black muslin tunic he now wore and entered his armor between the pauldrons and the breastplate itself. Standing up, he swiftly kicked the side of his knee and grabbing the crossguard, drove the blade with two hands back into his opponent's face. Twice. Lucas loosened his grip enough to allow Benedict to disarm him as he stumbled backwards from the blows. He thought briefly about dispatching him. He saw the looks on the knight's faces. Largely smiles. They knew he had won this battle honorably. Morin nodded, smiling, and Benedict remembered the guidance of the knight commander. Forgive. Forgive the unforgivable. Looking over his shoulder back at the horde behind him, the dark-haired woman stared at him with her cruel smile, her blue scarf around her head gently tossing on the breeze. She leaned back to the man behind her, whispering something. She turned back to Benedict, locking eyes with him, and nodded. They both expected the death of Lucas, their own soldier. This disgusted Benedict. Get out of here, and slither back to the rock from which you came. Tossing the black sword to the side, Benedict began to walk back to the ranks. Don't! Don't you turn away from me! Drawing a curved blackened dagger from the cracked leather scabbard at his waist, Lucas dove at the exposed back of Benedict. 
He drew it back to strike, the tip of which dripping with the dark ichor of an unknown poison, his eyes wide in maddening anger. Bendix saw the dark-eyed man's hand extended towards where the now-blackened body of Lucas once stood, his face twisted in a cruel, lopsided smile. The woman was nodding, though she was no longer smiling. No one in my army stabs backs like a thief in an alley. Let that be a lesson to you all, or face the same fate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Leaving the still body of Lucas on the mud and snow-caked ground, they turned on their heels, walking back into the crowd as the war horn sounded. Well, this is worthless. No, it's not. Oh, says the girl who wants for a brain. Yes, it is. A large 15-foot oval stood in the center of the 65-foot chamber. The steel frame was two feet wide and depicted relief sculptures of dragons tied in intricate knots. Fine. Sophie, can you help me? Sure. What do you... What do you think we should try? Just need to dust it off, especially the gems. There's no power in them right now, so nothing to worry about. That's what we need to find out, actually. What's wrong? Hey, Erlen, do you see that up there? Zorin spotted an area in the 20-foot-high ceiling where a ring of stones was, framing something. Yes, is that a... Yes, of course. A trap door. Erlen glared at Vix while Zorin just shook his head. Obviously. Now this, this is important. What? Really? (sighs) Didn't you just say it was worthless? Well, Cordelia, as you should know, my dear, changing my mind is my own prerogative. Well, bling bling. That sure went from worthless to priceless faster than anything I can remember. You really do have all the magics. Yeah, I was wondering if this little spot I polished held some sort of magical power. Give me a moment and we are going to see some. If you're quite done, I can explain to you ignorant fools how it works. The group went deadly silent. No one had seen Vix that angry since the underworld. and It was frankly a little unnerving. Not all magic can be summoned from yourself or the immediate surroundings, you idiots. That's why some spells require a little extra push, like a spell component, or maybe a focus like a wand or staff to assist. This is also true with very rare and powerful magic. Vix paced to the steel ring. As he drew closer, he saw in addition to the five gemstones were inlays of brass, bronze, copper, silver, and gold, 
spread throughout the artwork, gently glinting from behind the dust and tarnish. The smell of the musty air and dust in this room proved it had lain untouched for many years. No windows graced the central chamber that was placed many floors above the stained glass mezzanine from before. All was illuminated in their torchlight. He looked up. What is it? This aligns perfectly to the opening above. If I were to guess, there's a very powerful spell component at the other end of this trap door to activate the possible portal between the towers. Well then, Erilyn, help me find out where this goes. Arsenia is played by Sunny Alyssa Wolf. Benedict Shieldhard, played by Brian Dowling. Bryce is played by Harlan Guthrie. Caleb is played by Ned Donovan. Azure is played by Heath Martin. <laughs> Cobalt is played by Ellie Gossage. Cordelia Shieldhart is played by Jolene Frescas. Lord Alvar is played by Mike Kinker. Lucas is played by Scott Blankfield. Malleus is played by Patrick Mendelson. Warren is played by Shannon Roby. Ridley is played by Briar Zachary. Sophie is played by Sarah Jenkins. Vix the Chaotic, played by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky podcast. Zorin, played by Cody Miller. Erilyn, voiced by Jordan Thompson. Lorvana Birdsong is voiced by Cara Danvers. And I'm Mike Ashley, your narrator and the voice of Keldor. Thanks to our patrons, Haley Munoz, Daniel Nichols, Jolene Fresquez, Brian Dowling, Colin Holmes, Tony Fulmar, and Corey Fouch. You too can support the show by joining our Patreon. And we've actually opened up more slots to where you can play in the game itself. Currently we're running a campaign that runs shortly before the events of Season 1. Will they actually run into characters that they know from the show? Or how will they affect future events yet to happen. Stay tuned as we explore the Celestine Tower's ancient secrets and defend her from the forces of evil outside. Until then, remember the oath. <laughs>